thank you for tuning in to the Attack and Release Show. My name is Matt, and I am joined by my good friend from Nashville, Sam Moses. Hi. On today's episode, we're going to be talking about compressors. Compressors. And this is a topic from a fan, from our audience. We have a fan. And he's, we have one fan. (laughs) And they said they have yet to find a good podcast that talks on compression. And you know what? I really hope we don't let this guy down. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I really like I really hope we don't like crap the bed on this no. one. Because it's like this whole time of planning and thinking. I had to do a lot of planning. But just like that, I, I, I have like a bunch of like automatopias it looks like to me written on a piece of paper. Um but thinking I was like, yeah, this will this will be an easy one. And then as we started recording and like getting into the weeds in my head of like, oh, well, you have this figure and then you have this and then you go into FET and then you go into VCA and it's just this matrix of numbers just tumbling down in front of you. are like, eh, <laughs> hold on, don't screw this up. That's why we have Sam here. Sam picks up the pieces. I pick them up. He's the glue that holds the, this whole thing together. The SSL In between compressor. my random... <laughs> yes. In between my ramblings and... Ongoings of random stories. Like Sam brings us back home I'm a with good. a nice, sultry voice and a good monologue. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like a good compressor. The glue. You're the glue you know? that holds this otherwise obnoxiously transient <laughs> podcast together. <laughs> I love it. This is a great intro. We're using this one. This is a wonderful intro, if I do say so myself. <laughs> great. We're keeping it. So, all right. All Sam, right, you want to you wanna kick this one off since uh, Absolutely. you spurred on the, the topic? Yeah, let's get into it. Let's get into it. 2020. 2020. We're getting into it in 2020. Here we go. I'm about to get into Sam, it. Sam, get into it. All we'll right. figure out a mouth noise by March. <laughs> yes, we will. All right, compression. <laughs> Compressors. Let's let's maybe talk about just brief background, what they are. Uh, a compressor and a limiter are kind of similar things. And most people would accept that you are limiting once you hit like a 20 one ratio, which we'll get into ratios later. But today we'll Some probably talk about... Some people even say like yes. as early as like 10 to 1. There you go. 10 to 1. I think one. that was like, that was a really, really, really early standard for compression was 10 to 1. And I think routinely accepted now is 20 to 1. 20 to 1, yes. A lot of gears after 20 to 1, it just shows infinity symbol. Yeah. Um... So on the distressor, it just says nuke. Exactly. (laughs) So today, if we're talking about compression and limiters interchangeably, um, let's just all accept right now that they're essentially, for the sake of this episode, the same thing, even though they're slightly different. So let's talk about what compressors and limiters do. Basically, they reduce the dynamic range of a sound. So if you have lots of compression going on, 
your sound will be more balanced and consistent, but normally will sound smaller overall. If you have less compression, then your song will be a bit less controlled, but potentially sound more punchy and bigger and wider. So to me, that is kind of the way I think about compression when I'm using it is I use compression and limiting as a way to control the levels and to maintain a certain loudness I'm trying to get to. And that's specifically within mastering. Within like engineering, tracking, mixing, you know, I'll use compression if people hire me to do that, which I do that a few times a year, just kind of for fun. Um, then I will pick compression or limiters to give things specific space in the mix of the song. So if something is really out of control, like a super dynamic, like a drum kit can be extremely dynamic. The more you compress it, the more you can bring up the noise floor and kind of the character, and it all reduces that the dynamic range of the drum kit. But it can also, if you do too much, it can make it sound really small. And where the drum kit now feels wimpy, but it's very consistent. And that's probably one of the easiest ways for me to think about compression. And when I help people understand it is, if you do lots of compression, it'll be more balanced, but sometimes sound smaller, which may be okay if it's just super loud as well. It could just be a smaller, super loud feeling. Or if you use less compression, you'll probably have some more space and depth and you might have a little more impact. And that may or may not be important. And it may be perceived as bigger um, if you don't absolutely compress the crap out of it. So that to me is kind of how I think about compression and limiting. Um, it's a quick and dirty way and like kind of a quick way to, I think, grasp what compression and limiting does. And... I mean, essentially, I use it to make a track sound more natural and usually intelligible without adding lots of distortion, um, unless that's a desired result, which you can get from certain compressors. And pretty much these days, like compression limiting for me, you know, is used to create a consistent playback um, to the listener because playlists are such a big thing. I mean, we have normalization, which is basically like limiting compression, adjusting the volume of your song and all the songs on the platform to play back at the same time. So it's reducing essentially the dynamic range of the whole catalog of the platform in one way or another via gain to play back at the same level without using compression. Except some platforms do use limiters to bring your song up if it's too quiet. But that's a different episode. So um, within compression, before I get too far in, there are lots of different types of compressors, which Matt and I will talk about. And then usually within a compressor, there are certain parameters. And the most basic ones that you'll find on most compressors, or it's got an auto setting built in, 
are the attack and release show, and then ratio and threshold. <laughs> uh, so unexpected, but so nice. So before we jump into that, Matt, I would love to hear your thoughts and definition of compressing limiting and how you kind of think about just the topic as a whole. Because I'm sure there's a way you think about it that will be helpful and educational to me as well as to our audience. So what do you got, Matt? So, so while I can't speak on every single instance in use for a compressor, <laughs> um, I'll tell you in general how I use them. <clears throat> So say that, and I run front of house for the church that I go to in, uh, in certain venues that they have. And so it's like, if in all honesty, if I reach for a compressor, it's like, like say like a vocal or something like that. Just like something's just not sitting in the room or it's just like way too peaky or way too transient or it's like you can completely tone shape, say a vocal uh, with a nice compressor, if you're messing around with drums and you like want a like a poppy snare or like you want like a super punchy kick, I mean you can dial in a specific compressor in order to get uh, those types of effects. Like say that <clears throat> something that happens a lot is say you have like a really really transient piano that cuts through, and like the EQ is just not like trying the EQ is just not like helping things out and I'll always try to EQ before I compress. And I think it's just like the mastering engineer in me that views it because of this. But I always view compression as a destructive element. Mm -hmm. And I, I mean that with the utmost respect because sometimes destruction is good. Yeah. But in general, as far as mastering is concerned, uh, compression is a little bit of a destructive element. So I always try to EQ uh, to correct something before I compress something. With that said, um, a little bit more like, say, like front of house stuff. I'm not going to go with an EQ and like someone like, has a really, really crappy acoustic guitar. It's like, I'm not going to try to make that sound like a couple thousand dollar Martin or Taylor. Mm-hmm. It's like literally the goal for me is I'm going to try to make it sound like it's not running through a couple hundred feet of copper <laughs> and then through a board, a couple hundred feet of copper to an amp room and then a couple hundred feet of copper to the monitors. And so it's like you, while you can tone shape, just kind of know the limits that you uh, are able to uh, essentially treat so I just try to make it sound like it's not running through all that cabling. And, I mean, if it's a crappy instrument, I mean, God forbid, if it's a crappy vocal, it's like the, I think the general rule of thumb is that it's a microphone and not a miracle. So um, just know that, like, while you can fix a lot of things and you can make a lot of things nicer or smoother or pumpier or something like that with a compressor, uh, you can't always fix uh, like a bad source. So if you're going from like a like a tracking perspective, I would always uh, I would always start with mic miking techniques and recording techniques before I even think about touching a compressor, just because of how I view it as a destructive element. Mm -hmm. I mean, there's a 
uh, they're just floating around the internet. There's these like eight track things of uh, Marvin Gaye's like "Ain't No High Enough." I think there's a there's a uh, I don't know how many tracks it is, but it's of like Bohemian Rhapsody, to where you can just pull all the individual tracks up in Pro Tools or Logic or whatever DAW you're using, and you literally just set everything at Unity, and you're like, "Holy shit, this song is incredible!" And <laughs> does not require any mixing. And it's like, well, that's because the people who did it right at that time wore lab coats and they were legitimate engineers and they had physics degrees and like they knew what they were doing so before you even touch a compressor i highly recommend just if if you're in the mixing stage or front of house or something always like mess with your microphone mm-hmm. um and always like strive to get the best sounding source however down the line um down the line for say mastering um, I really try to not touch a compressor. Um, some things just in general, like, and they just kind of need it. Um, but I mean, in terms of mastering, if you do compress, you're trying to say, you're trying to glue all those mix elements together. You're trying to get like a cohesiveness, um, I mean, like an SSL compressor comes to mind. I mean, it was just like the the bus compressor on, what was it, like the G-series consoles mm-hmm. that SSL had. Yep. And it's just like really, really nice. And I have like very specific settings that I really like on it. And um, I've just, like any time that I need just like uh, a little bit or a lot of glue, I mean, it's it definitely always has your back. I mean, if you need something to pump a little bit, the uh, uh, what is it? The API twenty five hundred. Mm-hmm. It's just a nice thing, and it's super, super, super quick. Um, and it's like you get a little bit of glue, you get a bunch of punch. I mean, uh, I mean, you even say like API, and you get like some punch when you say it. So right. it's like <laughs> it's just it's just a great it's just a great compressor if you're just trying to get like a little bit of pump. And you can't really do anything with like any transient design or something like that. I mean, SSL is great for for pumping as well. Right. Um, mainly, like so. And the next thing I have on my list is like say like to tame some transients. So I had this one song that I was mastering uh, back in the summer that was a part of an album, and it started off pretty down. Uh, just a, a girl singing, playing a piano, and then maybe a minute, minute and a half into it, the full band came in. And it was like, well, her vocal was so transient that I was like, we need a little bit of control here. And so it was, I, I know I'm kind of going down the rabbit hole a bit on this, and I should probably explain a little bit more about a compressor. <laughs> but it's like, if you find like a really good, good mastering compressor, that's like quiet whenever you switch things you can actually like automate uh like mid printing your like through your gear and so she's like she's singing and so i think i have like the ratio cranked like three or four to one which is incredibly high for a mastering uh scenario and then when the band comes in i think i dial it back to like less than less than two to one and it mm-hmm. was, it was like the perfect amount of compression and the whole thing sounded great like i wrote in my notes i was like make sure that this is so good that she does not ask for a revision because <laughs> i don't think i would have remembered everything i did i tried writing it down as best i can so you have like taming transients as a part of uh um as a part of mastering you also can get into a place where you can get like you're like oh i want a little bit of color here 
So and you can get into some compressors. And what I'm finding is that it's mainly like very Muse. It'll give you like a little bit of a color. Um, they'll give you like a little bit of a 3D effect. And um, what I'm also finding is you're getting a lot of color through like transformers and whatnot. And mm-hmm. um, something else you can do that's kind of interesting. I don't do this a lot. A lot of people who have this uh, this Neve that I have do this a lot. Um, uh, and that is parallel compression. So whenever you say like you dial back your threshold uh, and dial up your ratios that your attack and release to however you want it, and if you're like you can slam things like a little bit hard, say for a mastering or even I mean especially in a mixing or tracking, not tracking situation, but mixing situation, you just uh, essentially dial in some of the dry signal and you blend the wet and the dry signal together, and you get this kind of a cool effect that like a nice like in between so a lot of people who have that neve like i said that i have do that i actually don't compress a lot if ever maybe like once or twice a year with it um mainly use it for tone and then as sam said in the beginning i mean you get into you get into limiting which is essentially in its most basic form it's a compressor compressor a compressor look (laughs) at my compressor (laughs) there you go (laughs) It's like if I lost a couple teeth and I tried to do this podcast. Uh, <laughs> it's essentially a compressor uh, with a 20 to 1 or greater uh, ratio where essentially you're catch- catching as many um, peaks and transients to essentially set a, a brick wall that like the whole Gandalf, you shall not pass. Um, <laughs> you're essentially setting that level. And the nice thing about it um, even though you will be losing dynamic range, you can uh, you can send a bit of level into a limiter, and per the way that limiter reacts, you can cut down any of that dynamic range. Say that you don't need that the song is not saying yeah yeah yeah. No, I must have this per- preserved. Like don't do this. So it's like as long as you're not choking it out. I mean, you can dial a bit of level into that, mm-hmm. and uh, it typically like. You, you get a nice level if like it, somebody really wants to be competitive with other stuff out there or something like that. So typically with limiting, like final stage limiting, I think Sam and I are both on the Fab Filter Pro L2. And yes, I know I, I know I at least am. I, I know you like the I know you like the L2 as well. Um, yeah, so I like the L2 for more of a sound. Oh, okay. Limiting. It's never my last thing. The Fab Filter is always my last thing because I find the True Peak limiting and the oversampling to be yeah unmatched still. Yeah. No, um, it's definitely it's definitely my favorite. And I mean the different the different like ad, I call it attitudes. I can't remember what they call like the different types of yeah. Oh, like characters. Character, I think it was modern, transparent, yeah, punchy, whatever. Yeah. yeah, and so you're able to like set it between like transparent, punchy, dynamic, aggressive, and then if you go and you can actually solo out the delta of what is being per se removed, yeah. limited. Um, you can say it's like, oh no, that's actually taking out too much low end. Or it's like, okay, this is what this is doing, and then you go back and you listen to everything without like the the delta inserted, and you're like, no, okay, yeah, actually, this is fine, or maybe this, but it's like you can at least like be educated at 
what that limiter is doing at that point. Yeah. So highly, highly, highly recommend that limiter. So, I mean, in all honesty, um, the bare bone basics of compression is you have your source coming in and then you essentially set a threshold that that source level will at some point exceed Mm -hmm. the threshold. So, and then with that, you dial in a ratio, which I can get more into that if people really want the math on how it works. And uh, you're essentially telling it like how much to compress. And then you dial in your attack and release, which are just time constants. And let's just say for the sake of this podcast, let's say that an attack time is when the compression starts and the release time is when it stops. There's a much further in-depth scientific explanation for those, but and if you want to know them, I will tell you. But I, I feel like if we get into it, it'll just confuse people. <laughs> yeah, but, I can talk a little bit about how I use it too. Yeah, which might be a so, little more helpful. Yeah. So what essentially everything on how a compressor works behaves, sounds, reacts, and holds up against other compressors and essentially serves your music comes down to those attack and release times. Absolutely. And it's like a vocal is going to sound a vocal attack and release time is going to sound different than a keyboard. And even like uh even like into mastering like intergenre uh you are going to have you, you like genre to genre you are going to have like different attack and release times that you're going to want to do. And it's like, okay, when am I going to want this to grab? And then am I going to want it to like go super quick? Or is it like there's a lot hanging on back here? Um, so, And then the other cool thing that some compressors allow you to do is they allow you to remove some of the low end um, <clears throat> from the compression detection circuit. Uh, and that's called a side chain. So you can essentially remove... Uh, that information. So say like that low end is super forward and you don't want that triggering the compressor. It's like, say you have like a really transient snare or something like that. And it's like, well, I don't want 125 and down to be triggering that. And then sometimes some compressors will have a side chain insert where you can kind of dial in exactly where that is happening. So I'll I'll let you chat a little bit since you said a little bit about... Attack and release show. show. Yeah. Okay. Did we both do it? Uh, yeah. That we, just did. Me? we did it. <laughs> uh, let's see. For- it's like the worst joke ever. <laughs> I know. Well, we had to make it. We had to. Um, okay. For our audience who's listening, still, if you're still with us, I'm going to give you my cheat sheet for compression of how I use it. This is just how I use it how I've learned to use it and what I listen for when I adjust all the knobs that seem to confuse so many people. And it was very confusing to me for many years too. But like Matt said, everything is controlled by like basically the attack and release and the ratio of the behavior. Yeah, the behavior. So normally like how I start with a compressor is I start with the attack 
at the fastest, the release at the fastest, the ratio at the highest, and then the threshold, I'll take off like a dB with those settings. So that's where I always start. And then the first thing I go to adjust, and with those settings, you're probably going to hear the song pumping and being kind of grabby, um, which is very normal. But you're, with those settings for me, I'm able to really hear what the compressor is actually doing sonically to the song. And so the first thing I'll usually do is I go to the attack and probably the most simplest way I think of what attack does, because I've got it turned up all the way fastest, as I begin to slowly dial it back, I am basically listening for the sound to come forward, and the best word I probably could use is the word <clears throat> thickness. I'm listening for the thickness Thick. of the sound of the source. <laughs> if it's an individual source, it'll start to open up, and if you're in a good room, like in my room, when I move that attack from super fast towards slow, slowly moving it, it literally is like the phantom image, the dead center information begins to jump out at me and thickens up in the center. And so once I turn the attack slow, you know, towards slower, and there's no rule, sometimes it's a little bit, sometimes it's a lot, depending on the content, but you'll feel it lock in to where you have this thick leading sound where like when it hits on the downbeat, it feels very solid. If the attack is too fast, it cuts that off. If it's too slow, it starts to feel kind of, um, it's not glued in together. So I adjust the attack listening for the thickness and basically the sound kind of feels like it's coming forward. So once I have that in, then I will move to the release. And for me, the way I think about release is basically it is like the, um, the metronome of the song. So the release is all about, for me, moving it from fast to slow and listening for a musical type swing to where the song begins to feel like it's dancing into the next beat. And that, to me, is one of the most interesting things when we speak about attack and releases. Like, people don't usually think of compression as a time changer, but you are literally shifting transients around to where things that were in time are now being pushed and pulled differently to where they're out of time compared to where they were originally. So this is where you can get things sounding really strangely or your client might say, and I've had this before, a client will say, it sounds like the song sped up, like there's more hmm. energy. And in reality, it actually did speed up because I've changed the way the attack and release is dancing to where now it feels like it's kind of moving towards each beat because the song, to me, that's what I kind of call breathing. If you go too far, it's called pumping. But I think most people don't think about compression and limiting in terms of changing the actual timing of your song. 
and the release to me, as I move it from slow to fast, I start to feel everything kind of dance. And I'm really listening to the way from beat to beat, it kind of moves with the song. And if you get too slow with it, it kind of feels like it just gets stale. And if you're too fast, it can be pumpy. But as I'm moving it back, you'll eventually feel that thickness from the attack stay there. And then you'll start to feel the song. It's almost like a wave. Like I can just feel it at this stage. It's like a, a sixth sense. But it feels like the beats are just flowing into each other, kind of like ramping up just slightly. And this is very subtle. It took me years to actually learn how to listen for this. But the idea that the release is changing kind of the way the song dances from beat to beat um, is basically what I'm listening for. And eventually you feel it kind of lock in. And this attack and release, they're dancing with each other where the attack has solidified the center and the release is kind of like letting things come back in and move and groove. And I find like until I understood how to use the attack and release together to make the song feel like it's actually moving because I am shifting things in literal time in and out of where it was, you can create masters or even in the mix stage, you can make things sound more energetic, more excited. I think that's when people talk about like compression adds excitement. What they don't realize they're saying is you're adding excitement by swinging the beat essentially. And kind of everybody mm -hmm. knows like, the benefit, well, not maybe not everybody, but the benefit of having like a great drummer or a bass player is that they basically they can like play in time, but it's like with a swing essentially. So they're keeping it's one of the things I've I love from um, what's his name, Paul. Um, he wrote a book I really like, Paul. Paul Stavrou, S-T-A-V-R-O-U. I totally botched it, but he's a he was a mix engineer at uh, Air Studios. Engineer, super famous guy, long time ago. And uh, he talks about music basically needing to, um, that it should be in, like basically in time, but not on time. So hmm. your drummer, whoever, is keeping the time, but they don't have to be on time. And his big thing is never to be like on the metronome, basically, because that's boring, which a lot of people experience when you use sample drums, you snap everything to the grid. Sometimes things can start to feel very stale and kind of like repetitive. And sometimes you want that, depending on the genre. But a lot of the time we use compression, even in like dance EDM, like side chaining and stuff, it makes things sound more exciting because you're really manipulating time more than anything by using compression. And that's how you can create excitement. So that's kind of how I think about like attack and release. Attack is like solidifying the center, the thickness of the sound, and the release is like solidifying kind of the dance and groove of the of the material or source. And then ratio for me, you know, I've still got it on that like super high ratio when I start, when I'm dialing in the attack and release. Um, I basically begin to turn the ratio down until I feel like I've lost the kind of dance and glue of it. And one way like I kind of think of ratios is basically like a, um, a higher ratio 
can give you a more like firm, solidified sound, but can often lead to like a smaller sound. While like low ratios to me can often feel like the song is a bit softer, but also having a bit bigger type of space or stereo image. So that's kind of what I'm listening, excuse me, listening for when I'm messing with ratios or thinking about them is I'm thinking to myself, if I turn this ratio all the way up, I'm probably going to get a more balanced and firm sound, but at the expense of maybe the image shrinking, which may not always be a bad thing, especially when you're engineering. It's like not everything can have all the space. You've got to find where it all sits and dances together. And then as I get to lower ratios, like four, two, or one and a half, that's going to usually allow me to get maybe a little softer type sound, but it might allow the song to feel a bit bigger overall. So that's kind of how I think of ratio. And then threshold, you know, that is going to be basically, you know, telling the compressor when to do all these things. So if you engage the threshold more, you're going to be attenuating or gain reduction, GR, different plugins, gear have it, however they, they have it listed. It's going to take off more and more, and you're going to hear those effects more drastically. So that's my cheat sheet. To recap, attack, when I start with a compressor, the attack is fast, the release is fast, the ratio is the maximum, the threshold's taking off a dB or two. Then I adjust the attack from slow to fast, listen for thickness, center image. Then release, I adjust from slow to fast, listening for kind of a dance and a groove. And then the ratio, I go from the most drastic, and I turn it down until I feel like, just where I feel like I've lost the point of where I was dialing in the attack and release. As soon as I feel like I've lost the, the solid center from the attack, the dance of the release, then I'll change that ratio back up higher. So there's no hard and fast rule for me with ratios. In mastering, I mean, people use limiters. People talk about mastering compression all the time, like, oh, don't go over four, and then they'll slap a limiter on, which is like infinity. <laughs> so it's like, <laughs> it's such a stupid thing. That's the, hilarious. The debates of compression and mastering, like... Sometimes it's one and a half, two, four, and then it's a limiter. And one of the big things that I didn't understand at all for a lot of years, and a lot of people don't know this, is that um, like when you stack compressors or limiters throughout your process, like the ratios are multiplicative and not additive. So if your mix is being compressed like 10 to 1, and then I compress your mix 10 to 1. It's not a 20 to 1, but now I've created a 100 to 1. So that's where a lot of people think when they're using compression, for some reason, not for some reason, I don't know, you just assume maybe you're adding compression, but it's actually multiplying. So if you do something like record a voice at 10 to 1, you know, coming in, and then you mix it with like a 4 to 1. It's not a 14 to 1, but it's a 40 to 1 ratio now that you've created. So when you think about using compression on your mix or like at mastering, you have to remember that 
someone has already, you know, at the mastering stage, I'm thinking someone's already done multiple stages of compression via probably group mixing, VCAs. And then they have compression on their mix bus, and then they have a limiter on top of that mix bus. So I'm already getting a file that's probably 20, 30, 40 to 1. So at the mastering stage, I'm usually very um, light on what I'm doing because I know if I have something coming in at the end of the day at 20 or 40 to 1 or even more, even doing a 2 to 1, now I'm doing like an 80 to 1, and that drastically changes the sound. And then it gets sent to radio or somewhere else where they're going to compress it even more. So at that stage, you're at like 500 to 1. So from start to finish, you're going to have a lot of compression going on, which is very normal. But it's just something to think about of like when you're stacking compressors, you know, you're not just adding them. They're multiplying against or on top of each other. And so... Usually less is more, and I find EQ balance at the end of the day to be my big game changer for how I get things loud. That's another topic on this is like people think compression and limiting is the key to loudness and really just your volume knob is. But in order for a compressor, for me at least in my workflow, my compressors and limiters are able to make things be perceived as loud and exciting only when I've got a proper EQ balance going. And that allows the compressor and limiter then to work more smoothly, which normally creates a more consistent loud sound. So that is my cheat sheet. That's my monologue number two. And that's really the main meat and potatoes I wanted to make sure I said today. Because we could talk all over the place about types of compressors, which which, which we can still kind of do. But I feel like the biggest thing that every podcast I've ever listened to is they neglect explaining those knobs in a tangible way. So I wanted to just share how I tangibly think about it when I approach it. So, Matt, that was a bit of a monologue. I'm taking a note. I want you to talk about whatever you really want to talk about, but if you have thoughts about that, go for it. Yeah, I'm wrapping up taking a note. Wonderful. Um... So I didn't know about the multiplicative compression ratios. I'll have to look into that. Yeah. Um, I've never I've never heard that before. Um, so yeah, I want to I want to look into that a little bit. Yeah. Um, so let's see. What do I want to say? You can say whatever you I'm, want. I'm, I'm like I'm like <laughs> so wrapped up in that right now, and just like. <laughs> Is that a thing? And then I'm trying to like do the math about like, okay, so say that somebody, say that just somebody has like a 40 to 1 like coming out of the mix. I was like, I don't really understand how that then multiplies against what I do out of an already bounced mix. So that's where I'm trying to, that's where I'm trying to, trying to follow up. Yeah. Um, so I guess what I want to say is that if you don't compress like how Sam compresses, that's okay. Correct. And if you don't compress like how I compress, which is completely different from how Sam does it, like that is 100% okay. Absolutely. There is very, very little that Sam and I both do that is similar, which just aids to the conversation of 
Uh, you're literally getting something different per every mastering engineer you go to. Like I'll be watching, like like even now I'll be watching some guy on YouTube fiddle with a compressor, like of a compressor that I have, and I was just like, man, what a fucking idiot that guy is! Like, why would you do that? But it's like people do things differently, and that's completely okay. And right. it's all per how they gain stage, and it's all per how they do everything. I mean. If you're mixing and you're using an LA-2A, not everyone's going to use it the exact same way. Right. Same in 1176. Same with literally everything that's out there. I mean, <clears throat> I, feel, I feel like a lot of people, if they were to see how I use gear, they'd pull their hair out being like, you have all these options and you're only using this one thing and you pay this much <laughs> for this freaking box, but you're only using this one thing. And it literally just comes down to what a master needs or what a mix needs. Uh, from a mastering engineer, and it's not always everything. I mean, one of the one of the most difficult decisions in terms of mastering is you have all of this gear, and as I spent three thousand dollars here and five thousand dollars here, and I all like you can let that run out for the next couple minutes. And uh, the hardest thing is literally on your little like insert switcher deciding, yeah, I'm not going to use that. Even though I spent so much money on this, um, sometimes it doesn't need that. And I'm, I'm, I'm finding as I get older a more refined definition of just like overall maturity, not like acting like a child to an adult, but just like overall maturity in life and in things and that maturity is more rooted in what you don't do and what you don't say as opposed to what you do do and then what you do say. So I feel like it's more routed than what you do not do. So it's, uh, you do not always need a compressor. Correct. (laughs) That is the most important thing you will hear in this episode is that not everything needs compression. It's like you go and you look at like somebody mixing on a board that has like a waves extension rack and everything and just like, holy shit, yep. That channel you were using every compressor. Oh, look, and a dynamic EQ. Yeah, don't do that. (laughs) So you do not need everything. It's just like little tiny adjustments here and there. Um, So compression is not the end-all, be-all. It is nice. It's nice to tame things. But um, as far as mastering goes, please just keep in mind that it it is a relatively destructive element, however sometimes necessary. So... Um, yeah, and if you don't compress like Sam does, and if you don't compress like I do, then that's okay. I think I literally, like, I start, attack is, like, slow as, as, attack is fast, wait, what is it? Uh, attack as slow as it goes, release as fast as it goes, threshold all the way down, ratio all the way down, and I dial up, like, like, ratio and threshold, and then I'm like, okay, this is now, okay, I kind of have, like, the amount of reduction I'm mentally going for, because I already have a picture of what I want. It's just me fishing for what I want, and then I dial in my attack and release so that what I am doing then behaves the way that I want it to behave. So which is completely different than how Sam does it. But that doesn't mean that the way that I do it sucks because it achieves what I'm trying to get, and what Sam's doing achieves what he's trying to get. So just know that like no matter which avenue you take, it is okay. So... I say uh, I say this episode on compression is pretty well wrapped. Wrap what job. What say you? 
I'd say I'm good. If cool, people want to like learn about other compressors, <laughs> you can just Google it. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, just go on YouTube, man. There's a lot of basic information out there on tube, optical, FET, VCA types of compressors, and they all have different sounds. Which hopefully people know that. But if you don't, that's fine. Um, but I feel like most compressor episodes I listen to from people, they kind of nerd out on all that stuff and never yeah. really tell you how to actually use it and what the knobs do, which is the most important thing. And like Matt said, like there's a million ways to do it. And as always, and I think Matt would agree, it's like the number one rule is to listen. And just listen to what the compressor is doing. Is it changing things in a good way, bad way, moving things forward? Does it meet the end client's goal? Does it represent you and you know your expertise and what you're hearing for the song and where it needs to go? And then trust that. And know I mean, that uh, <laughs> it'll take time. Let's, let's get down to the brass tacks of all this. You're going to spend way too much time messing around with the compressor. Yes. And dialing in the attack and release and the ratio and the threshold, the makeup gain and everything else. You're going to be like, holy crap, this sounds amazing. And then guess what? Your shit's been in bypass the whole time. So <laughs> <laughs> that's that, that's pretty much this episode yeah. in, a, in, in a nutshell. Yeah. So just trust your ears and yeah, period. Just trust your ears. <laughs> Not everything needs compression. Exactly. And it probably just needs to be bypassed. So <laughs> anywho... Hope that Gosh, made sense. Hope that I didn't ramble on too much. Sam, your voice was sultry and beautiful as oh, always. Wow. I imagine you have queued up a sweet beat from BeesaBeats.com by Sam's Beats. Thank you. And, Sponsor uh, that. <clears throat> yeah, man. I pay Matt to say that <clears throat> each episode. Excuse me. I wish. Anyway, <laughs> if, uh, if you'd like some merch, feel free to drop by our merch store. This will be airing, I think... Around the first week-ish of February. I don't know. We're currently in the last-ish weeks of December. So I'd have to look when this is going to be airing. But, um, yeah, if we still have some merch left, feel free to drop by, grab you some merch. Uh, and our goal, really, in it, is like we're not trying to make money. We're just trying to break even just so we can make merch next year. So just because it's kind of fun and it's like, why not just interact with the people who appreciate what we're doing and say we appreciate you here's something we made for you so yeah thank you for you being you and yeah i really enjoy doing this podcast so i do too yeah anywho you guys you, you got a you got a song queued up sam it's definitely queued and i'm just it's definitely queued. waiting to ride that fader up so loud <laughs> Heavily compressed or not? Heavily. Heavily limited? Heavily. Perfect. <laughs> Anywho, morning, <laughs> afternoon, evening, whatever y'all have, and have a darn good one. Thank you for being you. Thank you for carrying us on into season three. And uh, yeah, Sam, cue the music. Cueing. See y'all later. Bye. Bye.